Welcome to the Stand By My Servants podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree, professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University, explores the lives and teachings of the members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. As we examine the lives and teachings of these leaders, our lives can be edified, enriched, and spiritually strengthened. Now here is your host, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree. Well, I'm excited today. I'm excited every day that I get to talk about <clears throat> these apostles, these prophets, seers, and revelators. And today is Elder Neil Anderson. And I have come to love Elder Anderson. I love his talks. There are so many themes that when we talk about Elder Anderson that are applicable to all of our apostles <clears throat> and prophets. For example, we'll see the theme of prophets following prophets. Elder Anderson, throughout his life, has always followed prophets. In fact, his family instilled that teaching in him early, early in his life. We'll talk about that in a minute. We'll see the theme of one-on-one ministry, and Elder Anderson is so good at seeking out the one. We'll see the theme of work ethic and of always being so, uh, living a life of consecration, doing what the Lord would ask. One of the themes I'd like to introduce with Elder Anderson, and maybe it's become obvious as we've talked about some of our other prophets and apostles, many of them, as you may recognize now, have come from homes where maybe their mother was active, their father wasn't active, maybe their mother was active, their father wasn't a member. But in the case of Elder Anderson, he had outstanding parents. And not only did, were his parents outstanding, but his wife Kathy's parents were outstanding. In fact, I think I'd like to share an experience from the life of uh, Kathy Anderson that will highlight that. But before I go there, Elder Anderson and Kathy were outstanding parents as well and grandparents. So let me, let me share that story about Kathy here just for a second. The story was told by Ann Dibb, a member of the General Young Women's Presidency years ago. And it was a general conference taught given in 2009, Be Thou an Example of the Believers. Here's what she said. She said, earlier I mentioned Sister Anderson and her Beehive Girls Handbook. She's the wife of Elder Neil L. Anderson of the Presidency of the Seventy. A mother, by the way, and now a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, a mother and grandmother. And I love the thought that even though she has moved many times, she has always known where to find her Beehive Girls Handbook an achievement bandolo. Sister Anderson has stood by her husband and has taught the gospel all over the world. She has also exemplified womanhood and goodness as a faithful member of the church. As an 11-year-old girl, Sister Anderson could not wait to enter the Young Women's Program, and when her birthday finally arrived, she was given the Beehive Girls Handbook. Sister Anderson explains, in the beginning of the book it said, as a beehive girl, and for the rest of your life, Set your goals high. I could tell this was going to be a great adventure for me, Sister Anderson said. I took my book home and immediately read it from cover to cover to see what goals I should complete during the next two years. I discovered that there were 80 possible goals goals to choose from. In my excitement, I determined that if I worked hard, I can complete all of the goals in my book. Well, except one, to go to the temple and be baptized for the dead. By the way, that was on page 140 of the Beehive Girls Handbook. I could not be baptized for the dead because there was no temple in Florida. This is where Sister Anderson grew up. She decided to tell her father about the situation, and her letter continues. My father hesitated only a moment. We had no family in the West and no other reason to travel to Utah. He thoughtfully said to me, Kathy, if you will complete all the other goals in your Beehive book, We will take you the 2,500 miles to the Salt Lake Temple so that you could do baptisms for the dead and complete your final goal. I worked on my goals in my Beehive book for two years, and I completed 79 goals. Remember, there was 80. My father worked during those two years to save enough money to make the journey to the temple. My father kept his promise to me. Air travel at that time was too expensive for our family, and so we traveled 5,000 miles that'd be the round trip, by car to Salt Lake City and back so that I could complete my last beehive goal. What a joy I felt as I entered the Salt Lake Temple and in proxy was baptized by my father. It was an experience I will never forget. I will be forever appreciative for my mother and father's willingness to make the temple an important part of my life. 
They wisely understood that as I worked on my young women goals, my faith would be strengthened, my parents' faith and sacrifice, and making the long journey to Salt Lake City significantly impacted me and the generations that have followed. Now, I love that story because it highlights, in my mind, the great power and the great strength of Sister Anderson and her parents, but also the willingness to consecrate, to make sacrifices, and to set their priorities right. I mean, how many families do we know that would probably travel across the world or at least the country to go to Disneyland or to take some exotic vacation somewhere, but to focus on the temple and to make that kind of sacrifice for the temple, I think is an incredible lesson and statement to all of us. And so my question to all of us, all of you listening today, is what are your three key parenting beliefs? Maybe some of you are not parents. Maybe some of you are. Maybe some of you are grandparents. But what are three key principles that would guide you, your beliefs, and that would shape the way that you parent? And I would encourage you to write those answers down and to think about them. Them. I know in my life, and if my wife Janie were here with me, I think one of the things that I felt so strongly about because it made a difference in my life is I wanted my children to be the hardest workers. I didn't want anyone ever to be able to outwork my children. And I'm proud to say today that they are the hardest workers that I know. All of them are. Uh, a second one is that the gospel would be the center of our life. The gospel would be the center of all that we did. And it has been. And then number three, uh, we're going to have fun. We're going to laugh hysterically as, as often as we can. Now let's go back to Elder Anderson as you're thinking about those parenting beliefs. And think about his parents as I share some of these events with you. But I love what Elder Anderson said. He said that even before I knew the church was true, I knew that my parents knew that the church was true. In fact, his parents taught him the importance of sacrifice, just like Kathy's parents did, by helping him understand the, the gospel and the sacrifices needed to live the gospel. When he was three years old, uh, the family lived in a place called Ray, Colorado. Now, Elder Anderson was born in Logan, Utah, but they moved to Ray, Colorado. It was a 90-mile drive to church one way. And he said that at an early age, he understood that the church was important. In fact, it must have been really important for my parents to drive that far away to church. And then, of course, the 90 miles back. Another thing that Elder, Elder Anderson's parents did at a young age is they made sure that their children knew who the apostles were. And often those apostles would come to their state conferences in Colorado and then in Idaho and the parents always wanted to make sure that their children would shake hands with the apostles. Elder Anderson has remembered standing in long lines at state conferences to shake hands with men like Elder Spencer W. Kimball. In fact, between the ages of 6 and 12, Elder Anderson felt the power of President Howard W. Hunter, President Gordon B. Hinckley, President Thomas S. Monson, President Boyd K. Packer. They all came to their area in Idaho to speak at their state conferences. In fact, there's another story that I remember where the Andersons drive from Idaho to Salt Lake City to attend General Conference, but they can't get in. They don't have a way to get into the tabernacle, but they sit outside on the lawn and listen to all the sessions of General Conference. One of Elder Anderson's daughters, Cammie, told me that as she was being raised in Florida, that one of her memories is that for every General Conference session, the Anderson family was that family at the stake center for every conference session with their Sunday clothes on, both Saturday and Sunday, watching, taking notes, learning, and hearing those apostles, prophets, seers, and revelators speak and teach the gospel. I think it's interesting that Elder Anderson associated and met those men, many of those men, when he was a boy, and then would later have the opportunity to serve with them as a general authority. Well, Elder Anderson had some great experiences growing up. One of the early stories he told in the Friend magazine years ago went like this. He said that one of his favorite responsibilities on the farm was raising rabbits. By the way, at the age of five, he moves from Ray, Colorado to Pocatello, Idaho. And that's where he lives for the rest of his you know, youth anyway. But one of the favorite responsibilities on the farm was raising rabbits. He loved the soft, friendly creatures that were wonderful to snuggle with, but sometimes 
those pets could gnaw a hole in their cages and escape. And then the dogs and cats could attack them and, and hurt them. And so when Neil was seven, his favorite pet rabbit got out of the cage and they couldn't find it anywhere. And after looking everywhere for that rabbit, he went behind a wooden shed and prayed. And as Neil's prayer ended, he knew exactly where to go and look for his rabbit. And there he found it. And from that experience early on, once again, seven or eight years old, Elder Anderson learned that prayers can be answered, even over things that we may think are trivial, right? He also learned how to work. And this is one of the great, uh, in my mind, testaments of how a hard, hard work ethic, a, a stringent work ethic, that's how you make future apostles and prophets. At the age of five, he had cows to milk every season of the year. Even on holidays, he's waking up at 5.30 in the morning to milk those cows. Uh, it seemed unfair to him that his friends did not have the same responsibilities. Later, he realized that all the things he learned when he was young about work had blessed his entire life. Another experience that I remember reading in the New Era magazine years ago was a story or an experience Elder Anderson had at the age of 16. By the way, farm life seems to teach so many great lessons. He's 16 years old, and his dad wakes him on a cold February night. Elder Anderson had only been asleep for a short time. His father explained that one of their steers had gotten through the fence, wandered out onto the highway, and had been hit by a truck. And the animal was dead, but they had to save the meat. And Elder Anderson said, After we dragged the steer from the road to an open shed with our old tractor, our ne next task was to hoist the animal up. We tied its hind feet together and then threw that rope over the beam. And I remember struggling to get my arms under the animal's hindquarters and lift as my father pulled. To lift with any effect required wrapping my whole body around the slippery animal. And by the time the body was hung, the mud and the stench had become ingrained in my clothes. I felt miserable, but our work had only begun. Together, my father and I cleaned that dead animal. We didn't finish until about three in the morning. The smell, the slime, the dirt, and the filth clung to me. I went back to the house, and although it's been 25 years since that event, the next events are very vivid in my mind. I remember clearly the satisfaction of removing my shirt, peeling off each layer of clothing, brought relief, he said. I began washing first my hands, then my arms, up to the elbows. This was not the kind of dirt that would disappear quickly. Then I showered, first washing ears, then the hair, back to the hands, fingernails, the hair again. It was some time before I felt satisfied that the cleansing was done. And then slipping into a clean pair of pajamas, I lay awake in bed for a while, reliving the experience. It was now four in the morning. I was exhausted, but the feelings of tiredness did not approach the sensational satisfaction of being washed clean. Yet as memorable as that experience was, there are wonderful feelings far surpassing the physical feelings I had felt on that cold winter night. I speak of marvelous spiritual feelings that come through the gift of the Savior's atonement as the layers of sin are washed away and we become spiritually clean. Once again, a great lesson from farm life that Elder Anderson learns. Uh, I'm sure there are many lessons learned from that experience with the steer, not just the one of cleanliness, but once again of work ethic, of, of in this case economy, as that meat from that steer had to be saved. They couldn't just waste that. I think those are great, great lessons for any youth to learn. In terms of high school participation, Neil did work hard at sports. In fact, in high school, he lettered in cross country. But most of his focus was on academics and student government. In fact, while at Highland High School in Pocatello, he attended Boise State in Boise, Idaho, and was elected, by, was elected governor by all the other delegates. In fact, he was the president of the Idaho Association of Student Councils, which included all the high school student body officers throughout all of Idaho. And then, because of that experience, Elder Anderson has another really cool opportunity. And this sets forth, in my mind, another theme that we want to look for with all of our apostles and prophets. And that is a seminal spiritual experience or spiritual process during their teenage years that seems to shape and mold their life for the rest of their lives. And I believe this is one of those for Elder Anderson, he excelled in student government, and during the, his junior year of high school, he was chosen to represent Idaho 
at a student government delegation. This would be a gathering of students from 37 countries and each of the 50 states in our country. Students gathered in Williamsburg, Virginia to discuss the challenges facing democracy. And while at this conference, during a discussion, Neil's membership in the church became evident with some of the delegates challenging his beliefs. Elder Anderson had never been asked such questions before, and he recalled that he said, I remember praying in my mind that I would say the words that needed to be spoken. What followed was a miracle, a little miracle for me. I told them more than I knew. I felt the power of the Lord as he guided me through sensitive explanations and the sharing of my deep convictions. I could feel the Spirit of the Lord as I spoke, and at the conclusion they expressed their appreciation and quietly acknowledged their respect for what I believed. I learned that there is a power and an influence in this sacred work beyond ourselves and that it is worth defending. Oh, I love what Elder Anderson said there. I love that he talked about the idea that that he taught and said more than he actually knew because the Spirit of the Lord guided him in those and those conversations. What a great experience for Elder Anderson. So, like many, uh, following the same pattern, Elder Anderson graduates from high school, goes to that year of college at Brigham Young University, and then he's called to be a missionary in the France-Bordeaux Mission in 1970. Now, Elder Anderson, in a general conference talk, stated this. He said, Heavenly Father, how can I serve a mission when I know so little? Elder Anderson believed in the church. He felt that it was right. But as he came to pray, as he prayed over that feeling, this answer came that you don't know everything, but you know enough. And that reassurance gave him the courage to take the next step into the mission field. And by the way, we don't know a lot about Elder Anderson's mission experiences. There's not many things recorded But we do know a couple of things. One, that there was a great emphasis on his mission on the Book of Mormon, and it became a significant part of his life. Another experience he shared was this one. He said, I was a missionary. I was serving as a missionary in France. My British companion and I spent much of our time knocking on doors with few results. And one afternoon, a distinguished middle-aged lady opened her door. She had little time for us that day, but we left a Book of Mormon and made an appointment to return two days later. When we returned to her apartment and the door opened, I felt a powerful spiritual feeling. She was eager to see us. She had been reading the book and had experienced the powerful feelings of the Holy Ghost. She spoke of her joy and peace. She was prepared for whatever course we as the Lord's servants would invite her to take. It was in the cold of February. Our city had no chapel. We installed a portable baptismal font in an old wooden barn. The steam from the warm water filled the air. The humble members of the branch surrounded the portable font as this sister climbed up the stairs and then down into the water to be baptized a member of the church. The peace expressed by this wonderful sister echoed the words of Harley P. Pratt as he spoke about his first encounter with the Book of Mormon. As I read, the Spirit of the Lord was upon me, and I knew and comprehended that the book was true as plainly and manifestly as a man comprehends and knows that he exists. Now, I'm sure there was a lot of other wonderful, awesome key experiences that Elder Anderson experienced in the mission field. We just don't know what all of those are. After his mission, Elder Anderson comes back to BYU to excel. Some of you may like to know that he did have a job on the campus. He worked as a custodian, probably waking up at 3 or 4 in the morning to to clean. He was also an Edwin S. Hinckley scholar. He ran for office and was a student body vice president while there, serving with a good friend of mine named Reed Robison, who was the, the student body president. While they were running for office, Kathy Sue Williams became their campaign manager, and that's where Elder Anderson and and uh, Kathy become uh, friends, and then it develops into a wonderful romance, and then, of course, they end up getting married. I want to pick up on this theme of prophets following prophets and prophets having an influence in our lives. I know that in my own life, I've actually written a personal paper, and it'll be just for my family, of how the teachings of prophets have blessed my life in very significant ways especially at major intersections in my life where big decisions had to be made and relying on the words of prophets has helped. And 
Elder Anderson had that experience, I'm sure, many times in his life. But one was when he was a return missionary, BYU student. It was 1973. President Gordon B. Hinckley, then Elder Hinckley, came to the came to the Marriott Center at BYU to speak at a devotional. And Elder Anderson said this. He said, "I had just returned home from my mission." So much seemed ahead of me. Would I be able to consistently make the right choices throughout my life? Then Elder Gordon B. Hinckley spoke of a meeting that he had with a naval officer from Asia. The officer had not been a Christian, but during training in the United States, he had learned about the church and was baptized. And he was now preparing to return to his native land. President Hinckley asked the officer, Your people are not Christians. What will happen when you return home a Christian, and more particularly, a Mormon Christian? The officer's face clouded, and he replied, My family will be disappointed. As far as my future and my career, all opportunities will be foreclosed against me. President Hinckley asked, Are you willing to pay so great a price for the gospel? With his dark eyes moistened by tears, he answered with a question. It's true, isn't it? President Hinckley responded, yes, it's true, to which the officer replied, then then what else matters? Through the years, Elder Anderson said, I have reflected on that phrase, it's true, isn't it? And if it's true, then what else matters? Elder Anderson then reflected that I was 21 years old when I heard that talk, and he said, I needed to be serious about my studies. I needed employment to keep me in school. And somehow I had to figure out how to convince a special young lady that she should take a chance on me. And what a great, what a great turning point for Elder Anderson. Not, and by the way, not that, not that he was in trouble, not that he was doing anything wrong, but this is just kind of elevating the discipleship here, elevating the game that if the gospel is really true, then that would impact every decision in my life and the way that I behave and everything that I do. Now, Mary and Kathy Sue Anderson was a great blessing in Elder Anderson's life. They marry on March the 20th, 1975, in the Salt Lake Temple. Elder Anderson said that once he, he married Kathy, that the standard, standards in his life went way up, being totally consistent in prayer and in scripture study, keeping the commandments with precision. He added that her influence upon him and their children is phenomenal because she has a pure and disciplined faith. By the way, this is from Elder Anderson's biography now. Elder Neil L. Anderson, Man of Faith, Ensign, August 2009. This was written by Elder Christofferson. So, just before he graduates from BYU in April of 75, they are married, like I said, in the Salt Lake Temple in March. And then, after graduation, they move to Harvard. And this is something we don't talk much about with Elder Anderson. But yes, he goes to Harvard to do an MBA and graduates from Harvard in 1977. And then a great lesson for all of you young men out there that may be listening to this podcast that think you may know where you're going to live. A lot of that may depend on where your wife is from. We see that pattern quite often. So following graduate school, the Andersons moved to Tampa, Florida, which is where Kathy's from. And while there, Neil engages in several successful business ventures. That includes real estate development, healthcare, advertising, In 1989, Elder Anderson was serving in the stake presidency of the Tampa, Florida stake when he was called to be the mission president in Bordeaux, France, which we'll take a few minutes and develop that a little bit more. But then, I think this is such an interesting turn of events. In 1992, he returns, and he's called to be the stake president of the Tampa, Florida stake, but maybe he has the record for serving as the shortest tenure of a stake president. Uh, in the history of the church, because he is uh, he's called and then released like nine months later because he's called into the Quorum of the Seventy. In 1993, he's called into the Quorum of the Seventy, and I remember Elder Anderson was 41, and I still remember when he was called because the thought was, wow, he's really young, and I'm sure he'll do some incredible things in the church, of course, which he has done. And 2005, he was called into the presidency of the 70, and then in April of 2009, he was called into the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Let's talk about Elder Anderson as a family man for important. One of my favorite things to look at is how 
And what kind of men, what kind of husbands, what kind of fathers and even grandfathers are our apostles and prophets? Because that speaks volumes in my mind to the kind of men that they are. Cammy, uh, the Anderson's oldest daughter, called their, just mentioned that we still call him Daddy. Uh, just like the Nelson family calls President Nelson Daddy. And uh, she said he always made time for us as children. There were four children in the family, two boys and two girls. And Elder Anderson made sure that he was always spending time with those kids. In fact, one of the things he did, and I think it's a great tradition, but every month, once a week, he would take one of his children uh, out to breakfast. And it was a time for them to talk, to share, for him to listen And with four children, that just worked out perfectly. One each week, right? Sister Anderson said that Neil is a man with deep faith and deep love for the Savior. She said the loving kindness he has always shown to me and our children has brought immeasurable strength to our family and filled our lives with happiness and peace. And this is is going to be my favorite statement of this entire podcast on Elder Anderson. When he was called to be an apostle, he said, For much of my life, I've been trying to become what my wife already thought that I was. Isn't that incredible? In fact, even speaking of when they met, uh, Kathy said that I thought he was the most remarkable man I'd ever met. And that holds true to this day. I love how they have this mutual improvement association, so to speak. Elder Anderson's children talk about uh, several things. One, They loved playing basketball with their dad in the driveway. When he came home from work, that's one of the things that the children would love to do with their dad. And there was other activities they did. Because Elder Anderson was busy with church assignments while they were raising their children, there were some occasions where mom and dad were gone for the evening and the children still would engage in scripture study and prayer and music together when their parents weren't around. And there's a sign in my mind of a great, strong family. In fact, I remember years ago, we were driving to the stake center. I was driving to the stake center for a priesthood session. And just before we got to the stake center, I passed a group of young men. They were the Jensen brothers. And the Jensen brothers were all walking to the priesthood session of General Conference at our stake center. Four or five of them in a row with white shirts and ties. And I was aware that their parents were actually at General Conference attending in person. And while their family was away, here were these boys walking to conference. And I thought, you're not going to have to worry about any of these young men. They're going to be totally fine. And that's that was a great model that the Andersons also followed, where when the parents were away, then the children were engaged in the gospel still and living it and teaching it. And I just think of that, and I contrast that with my own life. And once again, I didn't grow up in the church. But man, when our parents were away, that's when crazy things happened, right? That's when you lit things on fire in the house, right? You're jumping off of the balcony of the roof, you know, uh, onto the couch that you pulled out from the living room on the front lawn and all kinds of fun stuff. And I just admire that. Uh, I'm, I admire that in the Andersons. All right, let's talk more about this this mission call that occurs in the early 1990s. When President Monson called Elder Anderson to serve as a mission president, accepting the call required a huge financial sacrifice. And that's another another pattern for us to look at with all of our apostles is their willingness to leave their nets, so to speak. In their cases, many times to leave lucrative, uh, prosperous business opportunities and professional careers to give it all up to serve the Lord full-time. And at the time, Elder Anderson owned a prosperous and growing advertising agency. And he said it's just not, it wasn't a business that could be easily left to others. He explained that we accepted the call not knowing how we would make that transition work. Sister Anderson says, I have always had confidence in his faith. He has consistently reassured us that if we put the Lord first, that he will open the way and miracles will follow. Within weeks, an offer to buy the business came forward unsolicited, and it was clear the Lord's hand at work in a miraculous way. And so Elder Anderson has that rare opportunity that so few people have to be able to go back to his own mission as a mission president in Bordeaux, France. The principle of the Lord's work 
being a work of miracles, was taught constantly by Helder Anderson as a mission president. In fact, one of his missionaries, Kirk Christensen, said he always raised our vision of the blessings the Lord desired for France. He taught us about pure faith and obedience with exactness. And the Lord poured out his miracles upon us. Now, let me just have a little interjection here that I think ought to be mentioned. Wherever Elder Anderson has been called to serve, whether it was France or Mexico, other places in Europe, Brazil, Elder Anderson has always felt that it was important that he learn the language of those countries where he was serving. Once, Kathy commented on the countless hours her husband devoted to learning languages, and Elder Anderson expressed that he had been given a spiritual gift and that the Lord expected him to labor diligently to realize that gift. So aside from speaking English and French, Elder Anderson always speaks Span- also speaks Spanish and Portuguese, and I'm guessing maybe even another language or two that, that uh, I'm not aware of. Now back to that mission in France. A couple of other things I want to share. One of them was just a great story that uh, was printed years ago. Uh, Elder Anderson shares it with us uh, as mission president in Bordeaux. He said it was December the 24th, 1990, a crisp winter afternoon. And he says, we pointed our van towards the mission home. My wife, Kathy, and I, along with our four children, Cammy was 14, Brant was 13, Kristen was 10 and Derek was 8. We had just experienced a week to remember. Because of the distances involved in our mission, we had not brought the missionaries together for Christmas celebration. Rather, we had traveled as a family to every city in the mission, bringing a feeling of family togetherness, involving the children and sharing a special Christmas program. Our family had rejoiced with each of the missionaries and the great privilege of sharing the restored gospel of Christ at this glorious time of year. On our final day, we had been joined by four wonderful missionaries. The large blue van, now full, was filled as well with the Christmas spirit. And Christmas carols and favorite stories made the travel time pass quickly. Kristen and Derek were becoming more excited with each hour as they anticipated the surprises Christmas morning would bring. We could almost smell the turkey dinner being prepared at the mission home by a wonderful missionary couple awaiting our return. The feeling of Christmas was in the air. It was not until late in the afternoon that we realized there might be a problem. For much of the morning, we had experienced some difficulty in shifting our van from one gear to another. We had stopped to check the level of the transmission fluid, but all seemed to be in order. Now with darkness setting in and our van still two hours from Bordeaux, third, fourth, and fifth gears stopped functioning altogether. We limped along the tree-lined country road in second gear. It would be impossible to drive to Bordeaux in this condition, and we looked for possible help. Our first hope was a convenience store just preparing to close. I asked about a possible rental car location or train station nearby. We were far from any city of any size, however, and my questions brought little response. And by the way, it is Christmas Eve, right? So I returned the van, Elder Anderson said. I returned to the van. The concern and, the, and disappointment showed on the faces of our young children. Would they not be home for Christmas Eve? Would they spend the, this most special night of the year in a crowded mission van? After they had brought happiness and cheer to missionaries far from home, would their Christmas come alongside a forgotten French country road far from their own home? Kristen knew to whom we could appeal, and she immediately suggested a prayer. Many times as a family, we had prayed for those in need, for the missionaries, the investigators, the church members, our leaders, the French people, our own family. We bowed in prayer and humbly asked for help. But now it was dark, and the van crept forward, moving at a jogger's pace through the pine forest. We were hoping to reach a little town just three miles ahead. Soon our lights caught a small sign with an arrow directing us to a a little town that I can't pronounce, by the way. Um, We had driven the two-lane road from Pau to Bordeaux many times, but never had we journeyed off the highway to the little town of something that I can't pronounce. As we hobbled into the town, the scene was like many small French villages. Homes and small shops were attached to one another, crowding the narrow road leading into town. People had closed their window shutters early, and the streets were dark and deserted. The lights in the ancient Catholic church in the center of town showed the one sign of life as they glowed in preparation for the traditional midnight mass. We rolled past the church, and the van hesitated and then stopped. 
Fortunately, we found ourselves in front of a lovely country inn. The lights were on, and we determined that this was our last chance for help. To avoid overwhelming those in the inn, Kathy, Cammie, and the missionary stayed in the van while I took our three younger children inside. I explained our situation to the young woman at the front desk. She could see the beleaguered faces on my children, and she kindly asked us to wait while she called the innkeeper, Mr. Francis DeRose. Cammie came in to see how we were doing. As we waited for Mr. DeRose to arrive, I silently said a prayer of thanksgiving. We might not make it back to Bordeaux for the night, but how good of our Father in Heaven to lead us to a nice hotel. I shuddered as I realized how easily we could have spent the night in the van in a remote area of France. I could see a restaurant in the next room, and I was amazed to see it open on Christmas Eve. We could have a good meal, hot shower, and comfortable sleep. Mr. DeRose arrived in the clothing of a traditional French chef, with his double-breasted chef's coat buttoned all the way up to the chin. He was the owner of the hotel, a man of importance in the community. His warm eyes and quick smile communicated that he was a gentleman as well. I told him of our dilemma, of the ten of us in the van, and of our destination in Bordeaux. He noticed my accent, and I added that we were Americans, and in one sentence told him why we were in France. He instantly sought to help us. About ten miles away was a medium-sized city with an active train schedule. He called to ask about the next train to Bordeaux, but found that it would not leave until 10.15 a.m. on Christmas morning. All rental, rental car companies in that large city were closed now. The disappointment was evident in the faces of my young children. I asked Mr. DeRose if he would have room in the inn for our family and the four missionaries to spend the night. Although we wouldn't make it home, at least it was a great blessing to have found such suitable accommodations. Mr. DeRose looked at the children. He had known us only about a few minutes, but his heart was touched with the brotherhood that crosses all oceans and makes us one family. The spirit of Christmas giving filled his soul. Mr. Anderson, he said, Of course I have rooms here that you can rent, but you do not want to spend Christmas Eve here in the inn. Children should be home as they await the excitement of Christmas morning. I will lend you my car, and you can go to Bordeaux tonight. I was amazed at his thoughtfulness. Most people would view strangers, especially foreigners like us, with caution. I thanked him, but explained that there were ten of us, and a small French car would never be sufficient. He hesitated momentarily, but his hesitation was not to diminish the gift, but expand it. He said, At my farm, about ten miles from here, I have an old van. It is used for farming and has only two seats in the front. It will travel only about 45 miles per hour, and I am not certain that the heater works well, but if you want it, I will drive you the 10 miles to my farm to get it. The children jumped for joy. I reached into my pocket for cash or credit cards. He quickly shook his head and his finger in disapproval. No, he said, I will take nothing. You can bring my van back to me when you get, when you get time after Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. Take your family home. Sometime shortly after midnight, the lights of Bordeaux came into view. The children and the missionaries had fallen asleep in back of the innkeeper's van. As we drove the familiar streets leading to our home, Kathy and I thanked our kind Heavenly Father for our own Christmas miracle. At a time when only He could bring us home, He had heard our prayers. We were home on Christmas Eve, even though back in that town where the innkeeper lived, there was room in the inn. What a great, great story of the Andersons. And one of the great small mini miracles they saw in that mission, like other miracles they saw repeated over and over and over again. And I love Elder Anderson's take on that, that what a great experience that was to know that there are good people everywhere in this world. Another theme that comes to mind is once again, this theme of reaching out to the one. All of our apostles are engaged in it. Their ministry is global. Their responsibility is for every inhabitant on this world. And yet somehow, in some miraculous way, they find a way to connect with, with humans on a very intimate, one-on-one -on -one personal level. Here's one of those stories. The mother of a young man whom Elder Anderson had once met briefly recalls that at one point, her son was on the verge of emotional and physical collapse. When he saw Elder and Sister Anderson sitting at a table at a cafeteria, my son later told us that I would not have approached any other person, but when I saw Elder Anderson, I knew he loved me, and immediately I got up from my chair and approached him. Now, despite the terrible change in this young man's appearance caused by his current crisis, Elder Anderson recognized him and called him by name. 
Elder and Sister Anderson then took the young man to their home, fed him, talked at length with him. And then, though although it was midnight, Elder Anderson drove several hours to take the young man home. Elder Anderson's influence did not end there, explained this mother. Now, years later, he continues to see our son to be interested in his life. He saved our son. You know, one of the things I think of as a person who has quite a busy life is how much busier our apostles and prophets are, and yet how much, how how they're able to take time once again. I just think of, I just think of this experience of Elder Anderson driving this young man home several hours, probably one way, driving back several hours another way, and then and then probably waking up two hours later to be at the church office building the next day for a full day of work. It's amazing the sacrifices they make. Another experience like that one that I'm aware of, Elder Anderson was visiting in a hospital and he was made aware that there was a patient in the hospital named Laura McPherson. Now, once again, he was there to visit other people or someone else, but when he learns about Laura, who had just had a surgery related to cancer, Laura's mother related that Elder Anderson gave her a priesthood blessing and then he sent her a copy of the talks from a recent general conference. And then later asked Laura to share her thoughts on what she was grateful for because Elder Anderson was to speak at BYU-Hawaii not long after that, and he wanted to share the experience of what a young woman with cancer at age 26 was grateful for. As Laura was recovering, Elder Anderson invited her to visit him in his office, showed her around the church office building. And then several months later, when it became apparent that Laura's time on earth was limited, Elder Anderson gave Laura a beautiful blessing, which brought her so much comfort in anticipating her passing from one life to the next. Elder Anderson then later adjusted his travel schedule to speak at Laura's funeral. And then Laura's mother said, We have been so impressed with the ability of Elder Anderson to carry out his global and family responsibilities and still take time for the one. He is truly an example of the Savior's admonition to seek out and to serve those in need. I think what a great story. I mean, here's Elder Anderson becoming friends with Laura, doesn't even know her, goes to the hospital to bless someone else, and then ends up developing this friendship with Laura that lasts for the rest of her time on earth. These apostles, when they meet these people, they stay connected with them. It's not a temporary disposable relationship. They stay with them and continue these relationships for years to come. Now, if I could close today with a theme, another theme, And the theme is following prophets. And it's one of the great themes in Elder Anderson's life. Elder Anderson learned from his family, learned from his parents, the importance of following prophets. His wife, Kathy, had also the same testimony and conviction of how important prophets are. And this experience was shared by Kathy, and I think it's worth repeating to all of us. What a great lesson. She said, my dear brothers and sisters, I had an experience about 20 years ago that made a deep impression on me. We were living in Florida at the time. We had taken our children to the stake center to listen to general conference together. Now, by the way, as I mentioned earlier, the Andersons did that all the time. A short time later, we received our conference edition of the Ensign magazine in the mail. We decided that for family home evening each week, we would study one of the conference talks given by a member of the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Our children were young, but they were old enough to read, and we wanted each member of the family to have a copy of the talk so that that we could read and study and mark them together. Now, we didn't have a store in Florida where we could purchase additional Ensign magazines. I'm interjecting here, but yes, there's no Deseret book in those days in Tampa, Florida. So back to Kathy. So I took the copy that we had received in the mail to our local copy center and made copies of the talks for our family. And when I finished, I took the copies to the cashier who tabulated the cost of the copies and then made and announced to me that I owed approximately $50. I am embarrassed to say that I felt a little bit sick at my stomach, and I thought, that's a lot of money to pay to make copies of these talks for our children. And then, brothers and sisters, this thought pierced my heart. What is it worth to you and to your family to have the words of God's prophets? I knew then, Kathy said, but I know with even greater certainty now that it is worth everything to us and to our family. It is worth everything to you and to your future families. And then she bore her testimony of that principle. 
Now, I'm, I'm quoting right now from a talk the Andersons gave called Hold Fast to the Words of the Prophets, a CES fireside on March the 4th, 2007, just two years before and Elder Anderson was called into the Quorum of the Twelve. In that same talk, Elder Anderson said this, Could our attention to the counsel and teachings of these brethren be more active, searching, and responsive? Think of how you would respond to the following questions. Could you tell me the names of the three members of the First Presidency and the names of each of those who compromised the Quorum of the Twelve? These are 15 men that you and I sustain as prophets, seers, and revelators. But if I were to hold up a picture of these brethren, would you recognize each of them? We rarely pay close attention to someone we do not recognize or know, he said. So, brothers and sisters, a great homework assignment, probably for all of us, is do we recognize those living prophets? Do our children recognize those living prophets? And because when we know them, it becomes more important to us to treasure the words and the things that they share. Now, another experience here on Following Prophets from Elder Anderson. Our family lived for many years in the state of Florida, and because Florida has a high concentration of sand, lawns there are planted with large broadleaf grass we call St. Augustine. And now I'm interjecting, but I grew up in Houston, Texas, and St. Augustine, that's the grass that we have there as well. A formidable enemy of, Florida, of a Florida lawn is a small brown insect called a mole cricket. One evening, as my neighbor and I stood on the, fr on the front steps, he noticed a little bug crossing my sidewalk. You better spray your lawn, he warned. There goes a mole cricket. Now, I had sprayed the lawn with an insecticide not too many weeks previously, and hardly, I hardly felt that I had time or money to do it again, and also so soon. But in the light of the next morning, I examined my lawn closely. It was lush and beautifully green. I looked down into the grass to see if I could see any of the little bugs. I could see none. I remember thinking, well... Maybe that little mole cricket was just passing through my yard on the way to the neighbor's yard. I watched my own lawn for more than a week looking for any signs of invaders, but none was evident. I congratulated myself that I had not overreacted to my neighbor's warning. But the story has a sad ending. I came out of the front door one morning about 10 days after the conversation with my neighbor and shock, shockingly as if I had, it had happened overnight, brown spots covered my lawn. I ran to the garden store, brought, brought the, bought the insecticide, and sprayed immediately, but it was too late. The lawn was ruined, and to return it to its former state required a, a new crop of sod, long hours of work, and a large expense. And this, is the, this part is so significant for all of us. My neighbor's warning was central to my lawn's welfare. He saw things I could not see. Now I interject. Our living prophets see things that we cannot see. I know that's true. Back to Elder Anderson. He knew something I didn't know. He knew that mole crickets live underground and are active only at night, making my daytime examinations ineffective. He knew that mole crickets did not eat the leaves of the grass, but rather found nourishment in the roots. He knew that these little inch-long creatures could eat a lot of roots before I would ever see the effect above the ground. I paid a dear price for my smug independence. Wow, what a powerful thought for all of us. For all of us, so many of us pay a price for our smug independence as we reject the words and the counsel of our living prophets. Same theme, I'm staying with it. In 1989, Elder Anderson, serving as mission president in that mission in France, and Kathy, they were watching videotapes of General Conference. That was the only way to watch it in those days if you lived in Europe, right? And so the conference occurs, it's over, and then someone ships the videotapes over to you and you watch them on uh, later in the week, right? They were impressed by a member of the Quorum of the Twelve's address that suggested that members read the preface of the new hymn book and then counseled members not to neglect the hymns, recalled Elder Anderson. Three years later, as a newly called member of the First Quorum of the Seventy, he's recounting this story. He took that counsel to heart. He said, we instituted an almost daily program to learn the hymns. We have realized in great abundance the promises outlined in the preface written by the First Presidency. We don't realize the enormous blessings available to us unless we actively pursue a course that follows the teachings of prophets and apostles. Now I'm jumping around, I know, and spare with my ADD here, but I'm going back to that talk now, that CES fireside on March of 2007. In one month, 
We will have the opportunity to participate in general conference of the church and hear the messages of the men we have spoken about tonight. General conference is a time to pause from what we are doing to listen to the Lord's servants and to be prayerful and to set our course for the months ahead. Please consider these questions. Have I clearly marked general conference on my calendar so that I will be able to listen to each of the sessions available to me? How will I prepare myself during the coming months so that I will be spiritually ready to receive the messages from General Conference? And then after the conference, we could ask questions like this. What specific impressions came to me during the conference? And what necessary changes do I need to make in my life? Then Elder Anderson said, let us hold fast to the words of the prophets. Let us hold fast to the iron rod. What is the iron rod? What is the word of God? It is A, the scriptures. B, the words of our living prophets, and see the Holy Ghost that will come to us and speak to us. That is the iron rod that Elder Anderson is, is inviting us to hold tightly to, and that is the path of safety. Now I conclude, brothers and sisters, with a talk that Elder Anderson gave uh, just a few years ago. It was April 2018, shortly after President Nelson had been called to be the president of the church. He said, we have the privilege as Latter-day Saints to receive a personal witness that President Nelson's call is from God. Now, while my wife Kathy has known President Nelson personally for nearly three decades and has no question about his divine mantle upon his setting apart, she began reading all of his general conference talks for the past 34 years, praying for an even deeper assurance of his prophetic role. I promise you that this great witness will come to you as you humbly and worthily seek it. But I think that story about Sister Anderson says everything that we need to know about Elder and Sister Anderson and their loyalty to prophets. From that talk, I will conclude with this. The prophet's voice, while spoken kindly, will often be a voice asking us to change, to repent, and to return to the Lord. When correction is needed, let's not delay. And don't be alarmed when the prophet's warning voice counters popular opinions of the day. The mocking fireballs of annoyed disbelievers are always hurled the moment the prophet begins to speak. As you are humble in following the counsel of the Lord's prophet, I promise you added blessings of safety and peace. And I know for myself, I always latch on to those promises from living prophets. I'm so grateful for Elder Anderson. I sustain him fully as a prophet, seer, and revelator. I'm grateful for his focus and his loyalty to living prophets. I'm grateful for his good life and for his desire to be righteous and to be loving and to be kind and compassionate. I'm grateful for his ministry to the one. I know that he is a prophet, seer, and revelator, 